Welcome to our current episode of Caring and Engaging. This podcast is a collaboration between Care Philadelphia and Engage Pennsylvania. We will be hosting interesting voices to talk about civic and political engagement, activism, and Muslim life in the U.S. My name is Mohammed Zuberu. I am the president of Care Philadelphia. I'm joined by my co-host and colleague, Dr. Asif Ilyas, chair of Engage Pennsylvania. In this episode, our guest is Dr. Colonel Imam Khalid Shabazz. He's the highest ever ranking Muslim chaplain in the U.S. military. So, so um, should I call you Colonel or should I call you Doctor? Well, actually, I, I got I got two doctors here. I'm, I'm the I'm the slacker yeah. on the group. <laughs> <laughs> we are here to inspire you. <laughs> Roger that, gentlemen. Roger that. <laughs> no, you're you're welcome to call me Colonel, Doctor, call it whatever you like. I'll answer to it. Uh. All right. Well, I'm going to I'm going to go with Colonel because that's cooler than Doc. Doctor is very, is very pedestrian, I think. <laughs> <laughs> OK, sounds good. There are fewer colonels than uh, than there are doctors. Exactly. <laughs> that's correct. That's correct. There, there, there you go. So uh, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Um, uh, Colonel, thank you so much for, uh, for for coming today. Dr. Elias, as always, thank you so much. Um, thank you. You know, welcome to to uh, I guess this is the third recording of uh, caring and, and engaging, and um, you know we are we are very privileged to have um, uh, uh, Colonel Doctor Khalid Shabazz um, as our as our guest. Um, you know, he is the currently the highest ranking um, uh, uh, Muslim chaplain in the in the army and the highest ranking ever, I believe. Ever, yes. Um, so don't know how many more years to go, but um, you know you, you still got a couple couple of more ranks that you could that you can knock out. So, <laughs> inshallah, <laughs> you know, uh, put, that, put that general and uh, uh, you know uh, uh, up, up up with the title. Um, and as 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 we were discussing earlier on, you know, the purpose of this of the of the podcast really is to to dispel myths about about Muslims. Um, you know, we are regular Americans, just like everybody else. Um, we come in all shapes, sizes, spheres, and colors. Um, and, you know, I'm the president of Care Philadelphia, um, uh, the Philadelphia chapter of the large, largest civil rights organization in, in the country. And um, honored to be here with uh, Dr. Ilias, and I will let him, um, you know, introduce himself before we you know, then throw it over to you, uh, of course, thanks, thanks, uh, absolutely great to be here. Colonel, thanks for joining uh, Muhammad and I. It's really a pleasure. We've been, we've been collaborating on this effort between CARE and Engage. My role with uh, Engage is I'm chair of the Pennsylvania chapter of Engage. Engage is a national uh, organization focused on empowering and engaging Muslim Americans in the American political process. 
we're doing this from a voter engagement perspective, we're doing this from a policy perspective, and then we're also doing this from a political action committee perspective as well. But what we're really trying to do is like what Zubair said, is really talk about Muslims in America from the perspective of our role in society and how we can meet our challenges and, and strengthen our, our role and purpose and, and place in American society. Yes, outstanding. So, uh, so, so Colonel, I thank you again. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, you know, introduced you a little bit um, earlier, but uh, but please uh, share share your journey um, uh, both to, to Islam and and in the military with us because it's um, I've read up on it, but uh, it, it really is a pretty interesting story. Yeah, my my journey in life is is um, interesting in itself, and I mean it's it's without sounding crass here or. or are conceited, it should be a movie uh, because, um, you know, my journey started out as in a, as a young boy uh, being molested by a family friend at 10 years old. Uh, that in itself uh, sent me down um, a bad path. I was in special education in the eighth grade, failed the ninth grade and failed the 12th grade. Um, the reason I, and I couldn't walk with my class, I had to walk in summer school. I, I ended up going to college because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blessed me with this big body. You know, I'm 6'5", 275 pounds. So I was able to go to college and play sports, but I wasn't, I, I, I still hadn't done, dealt with the molestation. Um, and so I was very angry. I was drinking myself to sleep at night. Uh, and of course, getting in a lot of fights. Uh, well, one day, uh, you know, being a bully is not fruitful. Uh, one day, uh, six young men uh, decided that uh, they were going to take me down. Uh, that ended in being shot in the back, beat with a shovel, where I almost lost my life. Uh, they, they airlifted me out by helicopter to Tyler Medical Center. So I almost lost my life. Uh, you would have thought, uh, an intelligent person after that would straighten up his life. No, but in the culture that I was, I came from, uh, my whole life was about getting him back. So this is where the story gets a little tough. So I had a friends who encouraged me to hurt this boy. So I had a 45 and a sawed off shotgun. And my intentions was to, to kill this young man. And so I had a, you know, like, like they said, Allah sends angels. I had this one guy who I really respected on campus. And he said, son, if you, if you kill this guy, you're going to let down uh, your mother. And, you know, for me, you know, everybody loves their mother. So uh, it sent me in a different direction. Uh, I did hurt him pretty bad. And I ended up going to jail that night. Uh, for some time. Uh, when I say sometimes, it's about three weeks. So in Allah's plan for me, I had, after I left jail, I went back to Louisiana and I was working in this place called Kmart, where I was a, uh, a, a, a on the register and part-time janitor. Phenomenal, right? The roughest part of my life, but this is the first interaction that I had with a Muslim. And so this guy's reading books, taking time out to go pray and all this stuff. And I was like, this guy is a lunatic. Why am I 
why is he talking to me? So anyway, he wouldn't give up on me. He would talk to me every once in a while about my life and Islam and Muslims. You know, and as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would have it, um, they cut the hours at Kmart. So I didn't have anywhere to stay because I didn't have any money. Guess who I got to stay with? The Muslim, because he, he invited me in uh, and didn't charge me rent. <laughs> so I didn't have a choice but to stay with him. Uh, but of course, um, he would leave books on my bed and all this kind of stuff. And he was pressuring me. And I said, hey, listen, I can't take it anymore. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to go in the military uh, because I was really running from him because he was having an effect on me. So I went in. Obviously, I went into the military and uh, I can tell you within a month. Met another guy who was Muslim. Right. And he's talking this Islam stuff to me. And I'm like, why is God putting all these people in my path? So I challenged him to a public debate. And of course, in that debate, um, he said some things about Christ that, that really affected me. I didn't understand why, because I grew up in a Lutheran church, uh, people were bashing Muslims and things like that. So I didn't understand when he was talking about the, the role of Christ in Islam, it sent me into a tailspin. And so I picked up the Quran for the first time and studied it based upon the notes that he gave me. Uh, and probably within you know six months, I accepted Islam. And so that's how I became Muslim. Uh, and you know, uh, currently I was in the military. So uh, because you accept Islam, now you have to deal with some of the harshness of how people treat Muslims in the military. I wasn't aware of any of that. I didn't understand the cultural uh, um, ramifications. I just was accepting the faith to, tr to try to better myself. But I was getting some pretty harsh treatment in the unit uh, because they said things like you're joining the enemy. So I'm in the field uh, where, we, where we go you know, to train for war. And I'm sitting there and I'm on my track. I was a field artillery man. I was kind of crying. Well, I'm not really crying because I'm a huge man and men don't cry. Right? <laughs> so, but uh, I was crying and, and I see the chaplain off in the distance. And I said, yeah, right at this point, I don't know who God is, but if there is a God, please don't have the chaplain come over here and talk to me. I got things, I, I can't take that, right? But as God would have it, as Allah would have it, the chaplain came over, he talked to me for an hour. And it's within that hour, he said, you're a very intelligent guy. Why don't you become a chaplain? We just got our first Muslim chaplain on active duty. Now, I don't know what revelation or why he feels like, but I felt like that day, the revelation for me came uh, and I decided that I was gonna be a Muslim chaplain. And that's how I got here. And I've been doing this for about 28 years based upon that conversation with the chaplain. So, Talk to us a little bit about how your experience after after 9-11 and and you know the the experiences that you had, you know, within the military, because obviously the the the, the military is the tip of the spear. Um, and and it it would almost seem as if there's a there's an incongruency between being Muslim and 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 being the tip of the spear, so to speak. 
Well, a, a little bit before then, um, I ended up going to the School of Islamic Social Sciences and we finished, I finished my degree and I was coming back in and I was so excited to come back in. Uh, and I walk into my commander, uh, the guy who is going to have some control of my future in the military. And I reach out to him and shake his hand and, and uh, he wouldn't shake my hand. He says, we have some problems with your religion. No, he said, I'm sure you're a good guy but we have some problems with your religion and how you guys treat women. Have a nice day. So he didn't talk to me for nine months, right? So this was pre 9-11. Uh, so you can only imagine after 9-11. Uh, so um, some of the things that happened in the military, the implicit bias, the micro invalidation, uh, very difficult to deal with. Uh, but as I said before, uh, doctor got on the phone, um, my job, I believe uh, from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is to normalize Muslims in the military. And what I mean by that is, I, it is my intention to do my job just as well, or, or as well as any other chaplain in the military. That means whatever the chaplains do from running, lifting weights, playing basketball, whatever they do with soldiers, I made it my intention to make sure that I was the best at it. And so all of the implicit bias that comes in that, um, uh, I deal with and I take it upon my shoulders uh, to uh, kind of almost uh, take the burdens and the care onto myself. Colonel, what do, you, what do you think, what do you attribute to that bias that you experienced against Islam in the military? Is it just a general uh, uh, you know, a historical bias is a misunderstanding. Is it ignorance? Is Islamophobia? Uh, I mean, and tell me, tell us from a pre nine eleven perspective, because obviously the world's very different post nine eleven for Muslims in America, particularly in the military. I, I think it's all of those things, I, and I think it's fear of the unknown. All right, uh, people don't know anything about Islam, but what they see on TV. Right, and so. If every person that's on TV that's highlighted uh, is a terrorist, then when people deal with Muslims, though, they conjure up that image in their head, right? Or if every image that they see is, you know, the uh, nation of Islam uh, in this sense where they're perceived to be super militant and going against the government or saying that the white man is the devil, this is the images that they have. So when they see you, that that's their pause. Okay. And so uh, to dispel that myth takes time, it takes effort, and it takes a conscious, a consciousness that even if people are treating you bad, you know, that one of the things that the Quran says, it said, don't let the hatred of the people move you to deal unjustly. I, I think, I think, from a maturity standpoint of being Muslim, that's a very profound statement because you getting you are getting constantly bombarded with people who are saying things to you that are just not true about Islam uh, or about you, and you have to endure that and be able to have cut, uh, keep down your emotions to be able to explain to them that's not quite true. Would you say, Colonel, post 
things became worse in that and from an Islamophobic perspective and from your perspective, was it just a direct product of, of what had occurred or was there a policy that was also Islamophobic? Yeah, I don't, I don't get into the political realm, but I can tell you being in the war in the Middle East uh, at that time, I, I can almost assure you, I mean, it had a direct influence on at least the soldiers uh, because I was fortunate enough to be the Islamic chaplain down in Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. Uh, I was called for the assignment after Chaplain Yi uh, had been detained for 70, 75 days. So to go in there with that environment with in, 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 in Gitmo, where they actually held uh, the prisoners at, uh, it was very difficult. And so any soldier in that environment, just because Shabazz is walking around, bouncing around the place high, speaking to everybody and playing basketball with everybody, that doesn't quell the fear that I have an ulterior motive. So, you know, you occupy a, a very interesting and, and, and unique space, I would, I, would, I would suggest, in that, you know, um, the people that you work with on a daily basis, most of them don't have a, a facility or an understanding of Islam, you know, and, 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 you know, the majority of Muslims you know, whether it be African-Americans or, or, or just general Muslims in, in America also bear somewhat of a, um, uh, 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 have a concern with, with the treatment of, uh, with the treatment in the military or the, 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 the stance that the military has vis-a-vis -vis the community. So, um, you know, how do you see, how do you finesse your role and your interaction with, with, with both of these communities well I, I think the military is a is a is a strange animal um and and you're you're a part of it the military is a community that is of uniformity right it is a, is a, a a community that regardless sometimes of who you are uh and what you represent if you can uh, assimilate yourself into being a good soldier Sometimes that's seen first. Most times that's seen first. That allows you an avenue to be able to teach people what Islam is. And part of my job is, not part of it, probably about 95% of my job is educating people on what Islam is. My job is to be a liaison for, for the soldier to the commander, right? Or to his first sergeant or to his platoon sergeant. And so my job is a teacher uh, of what Islam is. And, and coincidentally, like Ramadan is coming up. My job is to educate commanders on what Ramadan is. So they'll say, just for instance, I'll, I'll put out this memo that says from soldiers shouldn't participate in physical training in the morning, all right? And so the commander would come back and say, well, uh, he's just, fasting chaplain that doesn't mean he can't participate in 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 physical training i said well sir he's going to dehydrate he said well why can't he why would he dehydrate 
if he's just fasting from food, right? So it's, it's a general ignorance. I have to tell them, hey, it's not just food, it's water. And they say, well, well, I didn't know that, right? And so that's the simplicity of something like that, nobody thinks about. That's my job to go in and say, no, this soldier can't go out and run six miles. He's not drinking any water. You're gonna have a you're gonna have a case of uh, where the soldier gets dehydrated, and you're gonna get yourself in trouble. Because at the end of the day, my job is to educate them so they won't get in trouble, and the Muslim won't be hurt. So that dichotomy there, I stand in the middle uh, as a gap to those two people. So anyway, my point to that is, I'm only afforded that because I'm a good soldier. A lot of Muslims, like we have religious accommodations now, where Muslims can wear beards. The sisters can wear hijab. And the first thing I'm telling you, and I tell all the Muslim soldiers this, and it's not right, first of all, but that's that commander's not even gonna give you a second look if you're not a good soldier. He don't care if you wear a beard or not, but if you're a bad soldier, yeah, you probably won't get what you're looking for. And, and what about the liaison between the, um, the greater Muslim community and, and, and the military? Well, I mean, honestly, the, the military is not really concerned about that. The military is a mission-driven organization. Um, and so the Muslim community, well, I'll go out and uh, do some speeches at Juma sometimes or just hold a question and answer service. That's on my own time. Uh, the military is not pushing me to do that. The military is only concerned really with those soldiers who are in their ranks who are Muslims to ensure that I'm taking care of them. Colonel, can I make a comment and ask you a question? Sure. So first, I, I thought it was very interesting what you said about being a good soldier first. I think that is a common phenomenon in America, particularly amongst the immigrant class. You know, as an African-American, you don't have, you have a different experience. We have, a, some of us have the immigrant experience. And uh, the, the undercurrent is you gotta be really good at what you do to earn credibility and to get what you need right. as a Muslim American. And maybe that's not such a bad thing, but it's definitely a higher bar. Absolutely. Clear, right. And that's, people call that, you know, different types of privilege when you don't have to do that. Right. Yes. So yes. I think, I think you articulated a phenomenon that's, that's, is not unique to the military, but unique to the Muslim American experience at, in different spaces. I think it's really interesting. For, for our listeners, can you provide uh, some just broad statistics about, you know, Muslims in the military? Do you have some sense of the, the numbers uh, and, and and what branches and what have you? Anything you could share just to, sh just to shed to, to share with us? Yeah, and, and let me touch on that because you spoke about the, the immigrant community of Muslims and, and that standard. In the African-American community, we have a saying, we have to work twice as hard to get half as much, right? And so that standard is also there uh, for the African-American. Uh, and it's, that's, that's just the way it is. And sometimes you'll see guys like me, uh, you say, well, why has this guy got so much education, two doctors and four master's degrees? Well, I needed to get twice as much, right? Just to compete with some of the privilege and the implicit bias. So I understood that uh, coming into the game, right? And so to answer your second question, uh, it's difficult because we have a lot of Muslims who are hiding because of them, some of the hip, uh, implicit bias. Uh, the stats say right now 5,000 members 
uh, in the military across services uh, who are Muslim, who are identifying. I, I can tell you the numbers probably are double to that, at least double. Uh, I was out at Fort Hood and we would have generally about 10 people that come to service, but we have what we call an ad hoc query. Well, I can query all the Muslims on post and we had about 75 Muslims, but they were scared. They didn't want to be associated um, because they just wanted to do that job uh, and excel up the ranks just like everybody else. Interesting story. I had a young man who came down to mosque, it was Ramadan. And uh, I said, hey man, great, how are you? He said, well, I'm fine. I said, I haven't heard from you. I know you've been here six months because I track everybody. He said, well, Imam, I didn't want anybody to know that I was Muslim. I said, man, your name is Muhammad Muhammad. <laughs> That's called doubling down right there. <laughs> I am sure they know. <laughs> and if they don't know, you're probably paying the price. And if he weren't, he'd be paying the price for, 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 for not for being one anyway. That's so, right. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so, so it's it, it 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 is interesting. What you know, one of the questions that I that I kind of wanted to ask, but you 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 answered, is is, you know, what what do you what do you see as the as the greatest challenge that Muslims have, and and in your opinion, what is the best way to to address and bridge that um, um, bridge that divide. Well, the greatest challenge I think that Muslims have is understanding that it's their job to educate their supervisors, right? And you can't do that running. It's gonna take some courage. I, I understand that. I was enlisted and I tried to educate my commander, um, my, my first sergeant, and it was difficult at first. But as we just discussed, once I became a better soldier and more my job become, I became more educated about what I was doing. Some of those opportunities were afforded to me. So I think, I think the Muslim, at least from my experience, not always is being discriminated against because they're Muslim. Sometimes the commander just doesn't know, right? He just doesn't understand why we go to Friday prayer at 12.30 or one o'clock during the day. It is incumbent upon the Muslim, in my opinion, and I do a lot of that for them now, uh, being with my rank, to go in and explain the commander that this is a mandatory event. We don't have it on Saturday. We don't have it on Sunday. It's on Friday. And if the soldier needs, which never happens, it's only about a two hour service and he can make up the time somewhere else, right? But I, I think the Muslim is so afraid, and I, I, I probably scare a lot of Muslims off at Juma, but because I tell them there's no place to hide for you. If, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has us here in the military, maybe it's our job to struggle and sacrifice to ensure that other Muslims who come behind us have a, a place that is not so scary for them. And the reason I say that, because if you're educated, not only in Islam, but the military, the military has a lot of allowances for Muslims. I have a, 
my last post, I had like a, a, a budget where I could buy Arabic books. They built a mosque uh, on post. Uh, we had, uh, I mean, just a plethora of stuff that the government allowed us, just like they do any other services, um, to acquire free of charge. Because the military with Title X allows freedom of religion and they have a fund for every service on post where they can get all of the material they need. Uh, but if the Muslim doesn't know that, he doesn't tap into that source. You know, Colonel, I think you're hitting on a really important point. I think that it's a part of what we're trying to discuss about challenges and opportunities. And, and you've lived in the military pre and post 9-11. So I think for you, it's even uh, further you know, highlight is that pre 9-11, my, and again, I was younger than chosen in my 20s when that when 9-11 happened, you know, there was a tendency for a lot of Muslims around the country to kind of just lay low. People didn't really understand Islam. We didn't feel an obligation to try to be, to educate people on it. There was a lot of misunderstanding and we just kind of let it be. And yes. it just wasn't, there wasn't that the cost benefit analysis was better to just lay low, do good work and and live in this great land and, and that and, 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 and so be it. And then with 9-11 kind of thrust us in, thrust Islam in an unkind light in America and, and thrust all of us Muslims in an uncomfortable position of trying to defend our faith where it really didn't need to be defended. It's not fair to have to defend it, but the dynamics were such. But I think the point that you're making, the opportunity was America is a great land. If you explain things, people will, People want to know and they will honor it. And just the examples you gave of just the strides you've made about Islam and the yeah. resources that the military is providing, if you can articulate it and do it from a position of credibility, do it from yeah. a position of uh, effectiveness. And like you said, be a good soldier, literally and figuratively in your respective community. People will listen. America is a great country that way. But I think we all, it, it behooves all of us to, to be open about our faith and it'll help to normalize all the misunderstanding that, you know, there was yeah. um, a recent study that said that only like 30% of Americans have ever met an, a Muslim person. And you and I both know they've all met a Muslim person. That's right. They, they just didn't know that they're a Muslim. Right. Like Muhammad Muhammad. <laughs> I love the soldier Muhammad Muhammad though, by the way, this guy's great. <laughs> He would not be good at hide and go seek, I'll tell you that much. He's hiding <laughs> in plain sight. That's right. That's right. No, I, I think you're absolutely correct. And I, I just found that, you know, relationships enhance everything. You know, the emotional intelligence, the inter interconnectedness through relationships. You know, I had a, a, a general uh after I had been there for six months or so, I was a major and my wife was working with his wife and she uh, wasn't invited to obviously the uh, Protestant women of the chapel and they were kind of discriminating against her and they see her in the commissary, they, they didn't talk to her. And so this guy is funny because he's about, I don't know, five, seven, five, eight, and I'm six, five. And he comes to me and he said, I need to talk to you. And uh, I'm like, oh, man, I don't want to hurt this guy. right? But he, he points in my face and says, you know, I know your wife, your, you could take care of yourself. But if anybody messes with your wife, 
I'm gonna fire your ASS, right? Because my wife and his wife were close. And it was it was the pillow talk that got him railed, riled up that he became our protector. He did. He was my mentor until he retired. He got me these jobs where you know, I'm all over the internet now. It was because of him. But it was through those relationships that we were able to make it this far in the, in, in the, in the military. And I don't think, in my opinion, um, some of our brothers in the military, brothers and sisters in the military, understand the power of relationships. They just say, okay, well, they discriminating against me. They won't let me wear my beard. They won't let me wear my hijab. They discriminating against Islam. Well, they don't know because they don't practice their religion that way. Their religion most of the time is practiced on, on Sunday or Saturday. And sometimes, just a generalization, not of the whole community, they kind of take it off at work. Where a Muslim we see our religion in every minute and every day of who we are, right? You can't expect folks to understand that unless you have a personal relationship. The relationship was so good, I'm serious. He was a better Muslim than I was. He was like, we're, we're in the meeting. It's like 1330. He says, uh, Chaplain Shabazz, are you gonna go pray or what? I said, sir, I'm trying to get these notes. <laughs> He's like, no, you're a Muslim. You got to go pray. I said, I was like, hey, I say, sir, you're a better Muslim than I am. I was just going to stay here. <laughs> so, yeah, relationships are important. And I think, you know, I think that that's a, that's a wonderful point, um, you know, it, it, with regard to the, to the all-encompassing nature of, of, of Islam. And, um, you know, I remember when I was growing up that, um, you know, I was always taught that Islam is, is not, is not necessarily a religion, but a way of life. And, right. and, and what you're talking about speaks, speaks to that. And, um, you know, very much like the first debate that you said that you had with that individual, you know, um, the more that you know about Islam, the more you really get to love it. And, and a lot of times, you know, um, it, it, it's we Muslims that do the faith a disservice yes. um, because, you know, um, we project what we think it is um, in, in, in sometimes inaccurate ways and, yeah. then, and then cause people to, to view it in the negative light that it really doesn't deserve to be seen in or that it isn't. Um, right. you know, so, uh, you know, I mean, it's everything that you've been that you've been talking about just as a course of living life, you know, has been, is, is, is Islamic, you know, good character, you know, yeah. treating people well, you know, yes. good relationships. Um, so now this but is just- if, if, I could just add, if I could just add it, I think it's also about uh, breaking down barriers, yes. you know, I, and uh, so, I, you know, I look at the, the generation before us, a lot of, Folks, a lot of our uh, Muslim leaders focus on building institutions, schools, masajids, mosques, etc. Right. And I feel that our generation and, and Colonel, you're, you're, you're emblematic of this, is about breaking down barriers because the way I look at it for the next generation, um, they, they need to feel 
comfortable yes. being Muslim. And, yep. and, and so it's not difficult. So for someone like Muhammad, Muhammad, he doesn't have to hide necessarily in plain sight. Right. And it's, right. not, it's, not, it's not onerous or scary or uncomfortable to be Muslim. And that's the work that you're doing. And that's what we're trying to do is, is identify and lead the way so people feel comfortable. And part of that's relationship building, like you said, and, and also educating the next generation to take our position, but also just breaking down barriers. Yeah, speaking of breaking down barriers, I mean, that's a, such an interesting point because that's that's my philosophy, but not but. I was, uh, it's about four years ago. So we have these relationships that we've grown uh, just kind of being in the unit. And so this guy comes up, I mean, he is every bit of conservative that you see on TV, on Fox News or whatever you see, all right? And so he comes to me and he wants to have a private meeting and I'm bracing myself to uh, be very kind and patient with him because I know he's gonna say some malicious stuff, right? So he, he closes the door and he said, Chaplain, I want you to marry me and this lady, right? And I said, hey, Master Sergeant, you know I'm Muslim. You know who I am. He said, I don't care what you believe. I want you to marry us because we trust you and we know you to be a good man. Oh man, phenomenal, right? So I said, these are the things that I can say and I will say and I won't say. He said, Chaplain, you marry us however you want to marry us. We want you to marry us. I mean, that thing almost went viral. I mean, Muslims attacking me and of course Christians attacking him, but it, it had a good space in there because it showed that the Muslim chaplain was normalized, right? The Muslim chaplain caring for soldiers regardless of their faith. And I, so I think that's the point that we're getting at. I can do whatever I need to do as long as I don't go against my beliefs, right? And so we did a general marriage put it on the internet, I tell you, it, it was phenomenal. I loved it. And so I've done probably about four or five marriages for Christian soldiers. That, that gave me goosebumps, girl. That's amazing. Yeah. So, 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 so how, now this is just a, a point of personal advocation and curiosity, frankly. Um, so, so what else is there for you to do uh, in, in, in the military? How much, how much, how much longer do you you know, well, what other achievements do you, um, what other hills well, are you trying to climb? Well, you, you, can, you can obviously go to the next rank of general, one star, two star. However, talk about going back what Doc said, you just, it's just untilled soil. You know, nobody has gotten to this rank and to these positions working for three star generals. And so now to become a general, honestly, it is, it is a moment, momentous task that you know, I don't know if I'll be able to climb because you need, at this point, it's about political pressure to make it happen, right? And so there's never even been a woman uh, chief of uh, chaplains, let alone a Muslim. And so I would need community backing to say, hey, listen, another guy like this, right? So, you know, it takes about 20 years to become a colonel. 
let alone we have what you call war college. To get in war college is like winning the lottery three times in one day. Because chaplains, I'm serious. So chaplains only get three or five slots per year, right? And so for me to not only become a colonel, but to, to finish war college is a miracle. So my point to that is a guy, another guy will never, for a Muslim, will not make colonel for 25 years. So if it doesn't happen now, you got another 25 years to wait for somebody to make general. So I hope it can happen. Uh, I don't necessarily have any mentors in the general officer rank. So uh, it would have to be some type of political pressure. I mean, and, and we live in, in that type of time. So who knows, inshallah. Well, and, and, and you did, uh, and you did attend the war college too. So, you know, um, which is which is actually in our neighborhood here in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. So, right. So, so, so good on you. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Colonel, what do you see as um, you know for Muslim Americans joining the military now? Let's focus on 2020, 2021. I almost said 2020, 2021. Um, what do you think are their opportunities? Um, how are things better for them? Um, and what is a way from, a, from an Islamic perspective, can you say is some incentives or highlights or benefits of joining the military? Yeah, the opportunities for Muslims in the military are endless uh, because uh, like I said before, it's until soil in the sense of Muslims getting to higher rank. It's, it's just, it's not many of us here. Uh, and so the benefits are, you know, it seems simple, but free health care, Medicare, dental care. I mean, all of these things that you may not have in the society that you have to pay for, we get those things free, free housing and all that kind of stuff. Uh, the education is free. Right. And then really for me, uh, which is a, a point of emphasis for me those young men and women who come here who become officers they lead men and women who are not so an exceptional leader who is like like right now my job we're in 20 countries right i'm the, i'm i'm the head of an organization in 20 countries i run the spiritual welfare for all the chaplains from the you know in the middle east and none of the people that work for me are Muslim. But every day they get to see me perform in this position as a Muslim. And I can tell you, it will change their perspectives of a Muslim, right? Because you're fair, it goes back to what we believe Islam is. You're fair, you have character, and you lead them just like anybody else would lead them. And you're loyal to the organization. So I think from that perspective, Doc, uh, a Muslim coming in the military does more socially, right, than any probably any organization in the world because we we work in such close proximity, uh, probably different than anybody else in the world. That makes sense. Amazing. So, um, you know, who are your who are, who are your mentors? Who are your stars that you're 
that, that you're that you're bringing up uh you know within the uh within the force yeah i do a lot of mentoring and honestly one of one of the great things where you, we just talked about the the impact socially that a muslim can have um i mentor across the formation uh whether it's men whether it's women, and that's a big thing because they think Muslims hate women. So having having women as mentees, giving them information about how they can move up the, the food chain is phenomenal, right? Uh, and part of that is how the job is with confidentiality being a chaplain. But I, I mentor across the formation. I have uh, Zoom meetings like this. It's called Chap It Up. Uh, where I let people come on and tell their stories and, and, and enrich people, enrich people's lives. And so as a Muslim doing that, it breaks all kinds of stereotypes. And then lastly, I have a young Muslim chaplain. He's a captain. And uh, I'll be traveling to the Middle East here in about a month and a half. And I'll have him on my, on my, in my rucksack teaching him uh, what, it means to be a chaplain, right? What it means to understand the organization operationally. He already knows how to be an imam. That's easy. He went to school for that. I won't be teaching him how to do a khutbah, all right? Or teaching him how to do to how you prayer. You you got that. But what we what we're not successful at, because I'm an aberration anomaly, we're not successful at just getting one guy to the top. This is this is a problem. So I'll teach him how to be a good soldier and a good, uh, good, uh, good chaplain. You know, Colonel, mentorship is, is so important. You know, I didn't, if you had asked me, you know, 25 years ago before I started my professional life, I really didn't appreciate mentorship. That concept was foreign to me. It was something that word that I would hear. But now as I'm in, you know, the middle of the second half of my career, I, I definitely appreciate the concept of mentorship much more. You appreciate the mentors you've had professionally, spiritually, yes. et cetera. And you also appreciate the value of doing that. And uh, all of us who are in that position to mentor, I'd encourage everyone to really embrace that. Sometimes a job uh, requires that. I think your, your space and my space both require that because we train people. So right. there's, a, there's a built-in mentorship expectation. But yes. as you know, we all can take it to the next level to yes. really um, you know, uh, embrace it because whatever steps we're able to take and, and bridges we're able to cross, we, they can get further than us. Absolutely. And that's the way that we have to, to look at this. And, it doesn't, and, and the military is a beautiful example of that, but even in the, in the professional space, and other right. communities in America have really embraced that. Other immigrant communities in America have embraced that, be it ethnic or religious. And yes. we too should look at that as a community uh, to, to mentor uh, both professionally and spiritually to see them advance. And their success is our success, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. That's uh, the way I look at it. When they do absolutely. well, I tell that to everyone I work with. I say, listen, all I ask is for you to do good work. If you do right. good work and you advance it, then, I, then I'm satisfied. And that's what absolutely. we need. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree 100%. Well, the work you're doing is amazing. Absolutely amazing. Thank you. Thank you very much. I mean, ultimately, this is, uh, you know, this, this has been a wonderful conversation, but, um, you know, the the more of them we have, the the more the common factors seem, you know, 
is that, you know, relationships matter, character matters, um, sincerity matters. Um, and, and, you know, this, this faith that we all hold so dear and, and love so much, you know, has really, you know, gives us the blueprint to be the best at whatever it is that we want to be. Um, especially being um, a, a, an American. One of the things that I like to say is that, um, you know, there's, there, there's no better place, in my opinion, on this earth to practice your Islam than America. Absolutely. Right? And, That's um, you know, it's, it's just it, regularization, you know, interaction is, is what we need to do. And, and, and we thank you so much for, uh, you know, for your time, for all of your good works. Um, and, and we certainly hope that we'll stay in touch. And, yes, um, you know, uh, uh, look forward to look forward to saluting you as, as, as general at some point. <laughs> <laughs> Inshallah. Let's make you all about that. <laughs> you have our support, whatever we can do. <laughs> Mashallah. Thank you guys so much. Well, that's, well, that said, uh, you know, uh, please close us out with Dua and, um, you know, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Oh Allah, give us the best of this world and uh, save us from the hellfire. Don't let our hearts deviate after you have guided us to the truth. Amen. 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 Dr. Colonel, thank you so much. Doctor? Hi, <laughs> brothers. Thank you. Assalamu alaikum. Muhammad. Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Take care. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.